All right, Keith, why don't you pray for us? I guess we will. Heavenly Father, we're, we're grateful for you because you there is no one like you. We're grateful for your beauty. For, we're grateful that you express that and weave that through a story that you gave us that is about uh, yourself and glorifying yourself. And it's about us. We are, we are within that weaving. And so we're so grateful to you. We ask your Holy Spirit would lead in all ways in this class. The teaching of it, illuminate it to the word to us, and uh, bring it not only to our minds but our hearts and then to our feet and our hands. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right. Yeah, you guys. Not everyone was here on the first day. And I was talking about. Oh, sure. That'd be great. I was talking about Genesis, and I mentioned the proper use of, of the woman, and my wife chuckled. And then we had a conversation about that phrase, which is from Romans. They gave off the proper use of a woman. And I, yeah, so she's still a little sore about that. Okay, so we're, what we've t- talked about is exegesis. What's that? We're going to do a little review here. What's exegesis? To it's unfolding, unfolding. Unfolding. Draw out, right? Yeah, draw Bring out. out. Yeah. Unfolding. I like unfolding, actually. Okay, so ice to Jesus then is what? The opposite, putting in. Putting in. Now, I understand why we have to be very careful about this, because all kinds of people read things into the text that aren't there. But what can often happen is you go away and you come to some understanding through a sermon or reading, right, the, the rule of faith works on you in some fashion, and then you go and you actually see something there that wasn't there before. Um, this happens all the time where I'm... Somebody says, okay, now what I want you to do is go and watch out for, in, in the book of Romans, this. And then if you're going and you're looking for it, right, I mean, you're, 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 you're coming there trying to see something in the text. And so sometimes, you know, there's a fine line between, oh, thanks, Tom. There's a fine line between um, doing this improperly and doing it properly, essentially. So we talked about that. We talked about hermeneutics. What's hermeneutics? Let's see if I can spell it. Laura's not even here to see how I spelled that correctly. What's hermeneutics? The science of interpretation. The science of interpretation. And I'm going to change it to the art of interpretation. Thank you. (laughs) Science is all about repeated experiments. Yeah. Yeah, I have Dan to thank for this. Art of interpretation. I'm not. I'm going to change how I use the word science. Okay. So when we were looking at that, we started with rules, and we covered three of them. Um, and, and then what we'll do is we're going to add two, and then we'll move on to narratives. So the first rule that we talked about is the fact that the entire thing is dependent upon the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who operated on the men who wrote the Bible. And he is the one who operates on those who interpret the Bible. He is the interpretive key. He's the secret sauce. Without him, um, it's not, no, no amount of art or science is going to work for you. Uh, and, and this has come home to me. I'm listening to, for reasons I won't really justify, uh, a Nick Offerman book on tape. And he's horrible, uh, even more horrible than I realized. But I had to sit through a very lengthy explanation of Christ's uh, 
some of what Christ had to say in the Sermon on the Mount by Nick Offerman, of all people, who plays Ron Swanson. And I was like, all I thought about was the first principle. <laughs> it's like, it doesn't matter what he says. This man clearly does not have the Holy, does not have the Holy Spirit, and he has no idea how to apply this text. He has no idea how to interpret it. He's like interpreting it from, from just a humanist, uh, egalitarian, anyway. So this is the important thing. When you're listening to people, right, uh, all kinds of people can try to explain what the, the, the Bible says, love is love, Christian ethics, all this stuff. If they don't have the Holy Spirit, they're not going to interpret it correctly. If you are not operating on, on dependence upon the Holy Spirit, you're not going to interpret it correctly. Okay, so the second one was the rule of faith. I said tradition, but I don't, this is more accurate. So what is the rule of faith? You guys have, I think, heard me talk about this in sermons and whatnot. The rule of faith. You guys remember? See, if Laura were here, she would know this one. Well, this is the circuit argument thing. We know the scriptures are the scriptures because they say they are. Um, nope, that, that is true, but that's not the rule of faith. The rule of faith is we are guided by um, the faithful of the past. So it's a concept that came from the Patristic Fathers. Um, what Augustine, led by the Holy Spirit, studied the scriptures and wrote a book, uh, wrote books like the City of God. And so that book, the work that the Holy Spirit did through him, helps guide us as we ourselves are trying to interpret. And so the rule of faith are the faithful throughout time who have also interpreted the scriptures. So Calvin, uh, Anselm, Augustine, right? You can start naming names. Jonathan Edwards, Spurgeon. Uh, Michael Reeves is a guy currently, he, he, um, he's an author who writes a lot of books. He's an Englishman. Uh, he stands in a particular stream that's very helpful. If you read the 16th century uh, confessions, 17th century confessions, it's all the same. Okay, those, those all help us to understand how the scriptures were interpreted in the past. Okay, so then the next one was good and necessary consequence. Which is the, which has to do with uh, logic mostly, reason, and making deductions uh, for for things that are implicit. If you turn to the Ten Commandments, you don't need to use good and necessary consequence to know that you're not supposed to steal stuff. <laughs> it's pretty straightforward. But if if like Jesus, when he's uh, explaining that there is a resurrection, he uses um, deduction. He 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 quotes from Genesis. And even though it, this isn't what the Genesis quote was about, it leads him to, the, to deduct that God is the God of the living, not the dead. And he says, so there's clearly a resurrection. Otherwise, it, this, this wouldn't make any sense. So he uses this. He, 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 he draws this out. He exegetes the scripture using the logic, and we call it good and necessary consequence now. Okay? So this is where we left off last week. Are there any questions? Okay, so one thing I wanted to add is that um, when I teach this, at, like I said, I taught this in the leadership class, um, but we spent like two hours on this, where we are just dabbling here. But these things do not ever uh, work independently from one another. Um, so you can't just jump into the process, say, and just do a bunch of logic, uh, and, and you come up, you're like, oh, look all these things I found in Scripture, and then you walk away. Right? If, if, if you're not measuring what you're doing by the rule of faith or by the analogy of faith, which we're going to talk about, right? these other things act as rulers to measure what you've done. 
if you come up with, if you use something like logic to, to do something from scripture and you can't find it anywhere else in the Bible or anywhere else in the history of the church, I would probably keep that to yourself and, and not really espouse that view. Now, that isn't a hard, fast rule. I know one of my favorite theologians, Peter Lightheart, is constantly saying things where I'm like, I've never, right? He's, he's having to argue all the time. In, in this, where he's like out on the skinny branches trying to convince us all of something he sees there. So this is for the common man, right? When you're sitting there reading the Bible, and, and you have and something, some you're illuminated in some way, and you come to realize something, you have to be very careful to be guided by these other principles. Otherwise, you come up with some very sketchy theology. Okay, because if, you, if you're reading if you're reading the Bible and then you're like, you know what, I'm going to go and check out what CBN has to say about this, and you get some kook on there, and, and you're like, yeah, yeah, that's what I thought about this this verse too, and then it comes to find out that the guy's a total heretic, right, or is super sketchy. Um, we have to make sure that we are doing these things not in isolation from one another, but as like a group, right? So I don't know how you guys normally study the Bible. But I mean, I start with like just looking at the text itself, right? Just what does the text say? And then I, I read some comments about it generally, some present comments like in a study Bible and an older commentary like St. Matthew Henry, and, and, and I start to see how other people, what, what other people have said about it. Do you guys all use study Bibles? Study Bibles are very helpful. I even have one now, it's uh, because Crossway can't help themselves. So now I have the Church History Study Bible. And so it's like quotes from famous, uh, uh, famous commentators throughout history on, uh, from their commentaries. And that has been uh, very helpful to find quotes for sermons. It's like doing the work for me. <laughs> I'm like, oh, John Calvin has this to say about this. It's like, thank you very much, Crossway. Um, yeah, so now what we'll add, what we're going to add to this. The first thing we're going to add to this then is the, the it's called the perpiscuity of Scripture. Perpiscuity. Yeah, the, uh, in the Westminster Confession it says, The whole counsel of God concerning all things, necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith and life, is either expressly set down in Scripture, and then they go on to talk about good and necessary consequence. Um, and what they're... I have to actually think about the alphabet for a second. So the clarity of Scripture, right? That, that's really what we're talking about. Perpiscuity is like a $50 word for clear. <laughs> Now, some people make this distinction, you guys have probably heard, between primary and secondary doctrines. Have you guys ever heard that before? Why are we debating a secondary doctrine? Well, I actually find that that is very unhelpful. Um, to start categorizing things as primary and secondary, for me, seems problematic. It always has. And then when I read the Confession, this was very helpful because I make a distinction between clear and unclear. And, and it helps me to be more charitable. Right? So I start talking to somebody about covenant theology, and what's very quick to me is it, it's either very clear to them or it's not. And if it's not, I move on. Right? Um, believe it or not, I am not a, I'm not a pedo warrior, um, especially in my circles. Some people are, so I don't really have to be. <laughs> um, but, you know, um, I, my dad, my beloved father, gets all the respect for me in the world, but you know, we, we sit down and we talk about how often they take communion. And, and what I can tell is it's not clear to him in the same way that it is to me. 
but then he thinks, you know, eschatologically, that uh, the end is coming very soon, and it's very clear to him and not clear to me. So th this is this tends to be what happens. Um, people have pet doctrines that they jump up and down about, get really worked up about, um, and and they make primary and then you start making these primary secondary arguments. And and what I think it does is it undermines the whole counsel of God. The whole counsel of God is important. Everything that we learn from the scriptures is important. Some of it is clearer than some other things. Does this, does this make sense, you guys? And and I, I think what it has the effect it's had on me over the years is to be more charitable with people. And I just think, oh, um, they just it's not very clear to them. So then you have to be careful there because then what I do is I start handing out books. Uh, we'll just read this book. <laughs> and uh, Nate Chaka is a great example. I like when he started coming to this church. I, he was getting interested in Becky, and she's like weapons grade pedo. Um, I mean, she comes from <laughs> Moscow, and I was like, oh no, the Baptist is going to marry the Presbyterian. So I kept feeding him books. Here, read this. Read this. You better hurry up, and this better become real clear, real fast. I'm glad he's not here today, so I can tell the story. And uh, he read all the books, and it was one of the first times in my life where it proved, without a doubt, just reading the books is not enough. Because it didn't change. All it did was actually make him more of a bad guy. <laughs> he was like, thank you, Dean and Mike, because now I know how to argue against all these ideas. And I was like, well, that was not what I meant. But, um, so as you're studying, and, and this is also what happens, how many of you guys... Uh, or people that, after sermons sometimes come to me and they say, well, I, I can't believe no one has ever said that about the scriptures before. And and I understand what people generally mean by that, but I, I, we have to be very careful. It's like, I, I go and listen to sermons and I hear things. I, I, I just listened to a sermon on a text I preached. And I was like, that was um, hundreds of miles from where I was on the scriptures. Because... At different times in our lives, based on our circumstances, based on what we know, things are going to become clear to us that weren't clear before. And, and they will go on, you will go on your whole life finding things that are becoming clearer and clearer. Um, I've also been a Christian long enough now, which is a surprise to me, that there were things that I knew that I had forgotten. And, and this happened to me during my ordination. Uh, where do you go when you die? And I started, like, expounding off all this stuff. Um, and it was not correct. <laughs> and, and then, and like, they were all trying to help me out. Like, they were asking me these leading questions, trying to, like, jog my... They're like, Mike, you're going the wrong direction on this. And then afterwards, I was talking to Dean, and Dean was like, well, don't you remember when you said something really awful in a sermon, like, in 2013, and, I, and we had this whole meeting about this, and I set you straight about it. I was like, oh, yeah, you fixed this, like, years ago, but I didn't keep up with it. And then so I revert back to like some horrible idea. Does this ever happen to anybody else? Yeah. I, <laughs> I like read, you know, spend a whole summer studying a thing and then I think I know it. But then six years later, I'm like, well, so, you know, clarity comes and goes. Some things will be really clear to you for a while and then, and then you may forget, okay? Because we don't have exhausted knowledge. So in the, the confession also, section 7, it says, All things in scripture are not alike plain in themselves, nor alike clear unto all. Yet those things which are necessary to be known, believed and observed for salvation, and so clearly propounded and opened in some place of scripture or other, that not only the learned, but the unlearned, in a due use of the ordinary means, may attain unto sufficient understanding of them. So, there, you know... How often should someone take communion? 
I, I readily admit, is an area where there's a lot of debate as to how clear it is. Whether you have to confess your sins, repent of your life, and believe in the Lord Jesus is not confusing, right? It is crystal clear. And, and so, it, like, um, Gracie reads the Bible for herself. She sits down, she, she's reading right now through Judges for the first time. <laughs> All the questions. And she understands it, and she makes connections. And we're having discussions at the, around the dinner table, and she's pointing things out. And Because if you have even the basic conception of grammar... And you can read, and you have if you're then if you have the Holy Spirit, you will come to understand the things that are very clear. Okay, so when we're talking about things that are clear and unclear, we are talking about we're getting away from um, the big issues in life. Why am I here? Uh, what's wrong with me? How do I fix it? Where am I going? How do I get there? All of those big questions that people have um, are answered, and they're very clear. Okay, any questions about that? The perspicuity of Scripture. Okay, what we need for salvation is very clear. Okay, now the big thing that ties all of this together is called um, is called the analogy of faith. Okay, and, and this is the most important. Um, there, there is. You're not going to open, say, the book of Job and turn there to some obscure statement and say, okay, you know what, this is what it teaches. Um, and, and you hold on to some doctrine that you found there because, right, there's all, Job's counselors say all kinds of things about God. So if I try to build a theology off of his friends, I, I, the immediate thing that somebody like Dan or Keith or anybody I'm, who knows me would come along and be like, well, you know, here's like what... You have this idea, what about this verse? What about this verse that contradicts it? What about this chapter that contradicts it? You cannot build ideas, scriptural ideas, off of one verse, okay? Or even one use of a word. This, I, I was recently reading an argument, and, and it was, it's, the, it's a word that is normally, it's commonly translated. But one time, some English guys decided to translate this word, one word one way, and this guy was making a bunch of hay out of it. And I was like, that is very thin ice. <laughs> I'm not going to go with you on that dangerous ice. Okay? So we have to let Scripture interpret Scripture. That, that's the other way of saying this. Um, and, and this helps us with all of these problems. It helps us with uh, tradition. It helps us with logic. It helps us with what's clear and what's unclear. The infallible rule of interpretation of Scripture is the Scripture itself. And therefore, when there is a question about the true and full sense of any Scripture, which is not manifold but one, it must be searched and known by other places that speak more clearly. So you have to work from the known to the unknown. Okay? You, you, you have to go to portions of Scripture and work from what we know to work to what we don't know. You don't just come up with something that has never been heard of before. <laughs> And call it doctrine. Does this make sense? Because what you'll do is if you compare some um, idea you have, you can't find it anywhere else in Scripture, then there's probably a problem. If, if, you're, if you have the rule of faith, and I start quoting um, Aquinas, which is fine, go. And then all of a sudden I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm glad that you're using this quote to show some authority on this idea, but I'm just going to contradict you now with other places in Scripture. Right? This is what the Reformation was about. Ultimately here, what is the final arbiter? What's the Supreme Court? 
And the Catholics said the Supreme Court was the rule of faith. The Protestants said, no, the, the, the Supreme Court is the analogy of faith. Okay? It, 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 scripture is the thing that tells us what is true and what is not. It doesn't matter if a council or a pope or a pastor or whatever said it. And so that is what holds all of this together. Does that make sense, guys? Everybody with me? Okay, any questions? Comments? Retractions? Well, should we give more importance to the Holy Spirit? Sorry, what? You have A through E kind of equal points. It seems to me we should wait the Holy Spirit more than that. Well, I mean, this wasn't really like a value system. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I understand what you're saying, but this wasn't meant to be like, number one, like... I'm the Holy Spirit them. is a precondition, not one of the methods. Yeah, the this, this, is the, this frames the whole thing. Right, when we did this, we looked, they, they, because the, in the confession, they kept coming back to it. They would say something about interpreting scripture, and they'd be like, oh, by the way, it's the Holy Spirit. They would say something about interpreting scripture, and the, the divines would come back, oh, yeah, by the way, the Holy Spirit. By, by the way, the Holy Spirit. By the way, the Holy Spirit. And so this frames the whole thing. If, if, if he wrote it, he is the one who interprets. Right? And so when you're doing any of these things, it's because the Spirit is leading you to do it. Right? I... Um, and I mean, and then you get into all kinds of things, providence, all, all of this. Um, I, there, there was a book that I had, I don't even, I don't even remember buying it. <laughs> but I did not know how to, I could not break through in a sermon. And it was like Saturday afternoon at 3 o'clock. And I literally had no idea what I was going to say. And I pulled down this book randomly, thinking that it might be able to help me. And one of the chapters was about the section that I was, so then that started the path. Okay, so this, this person asserted things in the, in the chapter. I went and I looked at the scriptures. Then I went and looked at Calvin, and then away we go. Right? So, so the, the Spirit will guide us in this process. And, and it's not a value system. This is more like a framework. Okay? Um, he alone brought it into being. He alone interprets it for us. Okay. So now what I want to do is talk about, we've got to go back. There's, we've had more material than we really could have covered. Um, do you guys have any questions? Because this next week, we're actually going to get into Genesis and start talking about the scriptures themselves. Um, and, and we've talked about, a, or you guys have read a couple of things that we haven't talked about. Who read that two-page handout that I gave about the Son of God and the meta-narrative? Okay, do you guys have any questions about that? Um, a version of it lives on our website. So Dean and I wrote that. Well, let me, let me be clear. I wrote it, Dean was the editor, and, and he was the one checking my work. But we used to have a version of it where we actually fit every book of the Bible in there for, for the sentences. We tried to cover every book of the Bible in that two-page summary. And then we gave it to Joel, and Joel did his thing, and now it's a super cool hipster version of it, lives on our website. <laughs> but do you guys have any questions about that? We, you know, part of this class, the reason we're doing it is to, is to elevate the scriptural literacy of every, everyone in the community. And so we understand the scriptures to be about one thing and one thing only, and that is Jesus. Okay? And around here, I think especially it gets very confusing. Pato faith is not the point. Covenant is not the point. Kingdom is not the point. Because we're dominion-minded, we're covenant-keeping pe people, we talk a lot about covenant. How many of you guys have heard us almost to ad nauseum talk about covenant? 
that's not what the Bible is about. And in Jared's class, he, he had a, um, a book that I gave him by my friend Ralph Smith. And Ralph Smith argues in the beginning that it, you don't have Je- right? you can't get to Jesus without the covenant. His argument is the whole thing is about covenant. And I disagree with him. And hopefully Jared did a good job making it very clear that's not the end-all, be-all. Okay? When we're talking about any part of Scripture, it's about Jesus. Okay? Um, and, and so if you people have all kinds of things. People say it's about kingdom. People think it's about covenant. What else you guys hear? What else you guys? Well, I mean, heaven. Gonna make a whole thing about where we're going. What else do you guys hear is like a framework for understanding the Bible? Like, what is the, like how to live? Like, yeah, yeah, like it's uh, law and you know, ethics. Ethics. Yeah. Turn it into a manual. Well, and other people really just turn it into the building blocks of systematic theology. Um, I, and, and it's like it's very strange I have, I've had read systematic theologies where I think well you know he's, he's got all this proof texting but I wonder if he's ever actually read Romans <laughs> like you did there's like a spirit about it if you know what I'm saying um, and also there's you know there are guys I'm reading them and I, I'm like have you ever read the Old Testament it, it just doesn't appear like they have it doesn't sound like they have one of the things I don't like about the Westminster Confession is that the New Testament to Old Testament proof texting is like three to one or something. They, they almost exclusively use the New Testament, which we won't get into any further now. But you don't have a kingdom without a king, right? You don't have a covenant without what? Covenant maker. A covenant maker, right? You have no salvation without a savior. There's no heaven unless, there, unless you have Jesus, right? There are ethics. I mean, I don't even know where to start with this. Not only do we not understand the ethics of the Bible, um, we, we couldn't possibly live it out. So what would be the point of understanding it? I, I mean, I'm with Paul. Why da- double damn yourself? It, I would rather just not know. <laughs> I would rather go through life blissfully unaware of what I'm not supposed to do uh, than, have to, than to think I'm going to figure out all the things I'm supposed to do and then realize I can't do them. Um, and systematic theology, you know, Systematic theology is a beautiful tool um, that is sorely abused in our circles. Um, the Bible does not exist simply for proof texts. Uh, that's not what it is. So if you turn in your Bibles to Luke 24, Luke chapter 24, the man himself will tell us what the book is about. Luke 24. Twenty-four, twenty-seven. Your baby is so quiet. There, I found her. She wasn't quiet on the way here. No. It... <laughs> All right. Somebody want to read that for us? Luke twenty-four, twenty-seven. And beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all of the scriptures. Okay. So Jesus is on the road to Emmaus. He pretends to be somebody else for a while, which we'll get. If you were studying my Shakespeare class with my wife, I think they talked about that on Friday. People in Shakespeare are always pretending to be somebody else because in the Bible, people are always pretending to be somebody else. For some reason, it works. Okay, so he's pretending to be somebody else, and then he's having this discussion with them about Jesus, and it's Jesus himself, and he's he is 
their eyes are veiled so they cannot see him while he's making an argument about the fact that he's in the scriptures and he's veiled and they cannot see him. And there's like a whole sermon there, I realized. Just this week, getting ready for that, it's like, you know what he's doing? He's doing the... He's the same thing. <laughs> so he veils himself like he was veiled in the Old Testament. And then he explains how the entire thing... And now, for us, we don't categorize the Bible the same way the Hebrew Bible does. But when you say Moses and the prophets, that's the whole thing. Because either Moses wrote the first five books, or prophets wrote the rest. Okay? Um, and, and so... Loosely speaking, the way that the the uh, the Jews were not as concerned necessarily about properly categorizing everything. Uh, I, I'm taking a class right now, and Peter Lightheart was just explaining yesterday about how in the Jewish Bible the historical books are are lumped together with the prophets because it was the prophets who recorded the history and uh, transmitted it to us. And so um, when Jesus says this, he is saying all of Scripture. All of Scripture is about him, okay? I, I don't understand. I've always been mystified as to why anyone would make it about anything else. All the other things that flow out of who he is and what he did, right? You get all these other things. But that's not what the Bible is about. It's about him. And, and then now this present, this helps us. Because now you go back to the Exodus, and, and you study Exodus, and, you, and then you study Mark, and you're like, okay, I see it. I see this. He's fulfilling all of these things. He is all of these things. He is Israel. He's like, s somehow, providentially, he's, he's living out his life in real time, fulfilling types and shadows from all over the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. And so what it does is then you go back and you're like, oh, let's read Deuteronomy again. Let's read Lamentations again. Let's read 1 Kings again. And, and, and you go back and you're looking for him all the time. And it actually now, right? Talk about reading into it. Right? We're going back and we're looking for this. But then it also does present mysteries. Now, is there a story in the Bible that you guys know of, a section in the Bible that you guys know of, and you think, what in the world does this have to do with him? Esther. Esther, the book of Esther. <laughs> nice. Good one. Anybody else? Maybe it's the whole book of Judges. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, God, just why? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and then you get into all kinds of things typologically about type, anti-type. Um, because sometimes it's about him in the sense that it's the opposite of him. Okay, sometimes it's, it's about him because what's missing is him. Uh, like the book of Esther is really interesting because they don't mention God once in the whole thing uh, and yet there it is in scripture and so this is why I, I argue with people who say you know Christian art has to have Jesus in it and I'm like well, what about the book of Esther I, I mean like there's no explicit reference to Christ to God at all <laughs> and yet they still pull it off right. like it's all about what's not said if like you know what I'm saying it's always used patently there yeah, and I, I would say typologically, just like the sermon I did a few weeks ago, I would see Esther as the bride of Christ. Um, this is what the church is like, right? The church is in the world dealing with men in pow powerful positions, dealing with politics, dealing with all the things that she's dealing with, and that is what is happening to the church. Now, she really lived. It's not unhistorical. It happened, but it's typologically something for us to understand the place of the church. Uh, and, the, and, and her interactions with the king and her, her interactions with the machinations that are going on in the court it is very instructive for the church and how it should conduct itself. Okay, so, you know, sometimes 
in the book we're reading now about the section on narratives it was very helpful to me to think about this because I think I do run into the problem where I get down like into a verse and I want to know what these five words have to do with Jesus yeah. and, and like I, I work myself into a, a frenzy trying to figure out what is what are these five? And, and it, he was helpful in the narrative. He's like, yeah, you know, you got to back out. And what does the narrative itself have to do with it? Right? I mean, you, you don't have to go verse by verse and look for Jesus in every verse. Because that, that is unnecessary and a waste of your time. But you can read the book of Ruth and learn about the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just about his history, but about him. Because Boaz is the kinsman redeemer who fulfills all of these things and redeems this woman who's otherwise unredeemable, and the whole thing is the gospel, right? And this is why there's a series I love. It's called The Gospel According to, and then fill in the blank from the Old Testament. The Gospel According to Ruth. The Gospel According to Isaiah. The Gospel According to. Um, and I think The Gospel According to Ruth is excellent. It's an excellent gospel story. Um, but with the narratives, you have to be very careful. You can't get down in the weeds Right, and, and, and my favorite one, Zipporah saves the day by cutting off the foreskin of her son when God comes to kill Moses. And I've really been hung up for many years about what does this have to do with Jesus? Well, I think I'm, my, I've, I've drilled the, I'm looking too closely under the microscope trying to find the fingerprints. Does this, does this make sense to you guys? So when we're studying these narratives, I think we have to keep the 30,000 foot view in mind. A lot. If we, especially for me personally, if I start getting down in the weeds, we will never make it out of Genesis, <laughs> um, because it is absolutely my favorite book of the Bible, and I will talk and talk and talk and talk about it. Right? But we're going to keep the thirty thousand foot view. What overall does the book of God, Genesis teach us about the Lord Jesus? And and like you can keep it very simple. At, right at the end of the book, you have Joseph in the place of Pharaoh, ruling the world. Well, that is essentially what the book of Revelation is about, right? The, the Genesis, why I love it so much, is it's a Bible within the Bible. <laughs> it is the Bible story in miniature. Um, also, what I love about it is, at the end, Joseph is living closer to Charlemagne than he is to Adam. And, and we don't realize how much time actually passes in that early part of Genesis, okay? And so the things that are happening there are ancient, ancient, it covers a lot of time. Um, and so what is told us about that time period matters a great deal. What they decided to tell us from such a huge section of human history matters a lot. So with narratives, right, I mean, what were some things you guys read about? Uh, besides meta-narrative, that, that's easy. About layered narrative, characters, narrator, plot, what, what, do you guys, what do you guys recall from the chapter that you were supposed to read? You guys remember what layered narrative is? It's kind of like what I was just saying. Like, I can tell you what the entire book of Genesis is about. On the big level, it's about Jesus, right? The progression of man from the fall to glorification. But then you go inside and you look at, say, somebody like Judah, uh, and he's an anti-type. And, and, and you look at that smaller narrative within the narrative. Okay, so that's like a second layer, right? Do you guys remember what the third layer is? No? Okay. Wait, okay, so then you have the story of Judah, but then within the story of Judah, you have the story of Judah and Tamar, which is itself a smaller narrative, okay? 
So you have that narrative, which lives in an, exists in a larger narrative about Judah, which li- exists in a larger narrative of Genesis. And, and so as you're going down into the book, how far down are we going to go? I think a story like Judah and Tamar is about as far deep into it as we're going to go. Um, and that story is what? You guys remember? She, she, she's given to his son. The son dies. Another son dies. They're very evil. And uh, J- Judah kind of forgets about her. And the, the next son is able to marry her. He's of the age. But she's not given to him. And so she takes matters into her own hands, dresses like a prostitute, sleeps with Judah, gets pregnant. He finds out she's pregnant. He's going to put her to death. And then she presents the presents that she, he gave the prostitute. Now, that is about Jesus Christ, um, without a doubt. But, but that's about as far down into it as we're going to get, right? So then that exists, again, as a narrative within the narrative of Judah, who's an anti-Jesus inside of this larger story, Genesis, okay? And so when we're doing this kind of thing, you have to be very careful about the plot. You have to be very careful about the voice of the narrator, about the characters, about dialogue. Because I, in my opinion, especially with the book of Genesis, there's all kind of confusion. When, when, I, um, when uh, Isaac is tricked by his son, everybody thinks that the mom and the son is to blame. But actually they're doing what they're supposed to and dad is to blame. Like that's an example of a story where people are not paying attention to the details of the plot. And, and, and you, you have Isaac, the son of promise, who's supposed to bestow it upon his son, and because his son has to use deception in order to get his father to do what he's supposed to, everybody blames the son and not the father. You guys know what I'm talking about? He, so, because, and we get into that story, and, and like another one is Abraham lying when he goes to foreign courts and, and saying that it's his sister. Uh, he actually isn't lying, first off, it is his sister. <laughs> and he's blamed for all kinds of things in those stories that he ought not to be. Um, in fact, what he, he, he should be blamed for, I don't usually think most people blame him. Um, and and this, yeah, this was a long road that I've been on now. So there was a book I was reading by James Jordan. I don't know if you guys know who he is. He doesn't always really give you a lot of information. He offhandedly mentions in his commentary on Genesis that Abraham was righteous for deceiving people. And I was like a newbie Christian. I was like, what in the what? What? <laughs> what did you just say, James Jordan? Then you go to the back of the book, and you're like, there's no footnote here. And then so then I start getting out commentary after commentary after commentary. Everybody thinks that Abraham is a dirtbag for lying. I remember Mark Driscoll talking about it ad nauseum during his Genesis series back in the day. Okay, And then I finally find this 25-volume commentary on Genesis by Martin Luther. And it has been one of the greatest investments of my life. Because then he <laughs> explains these things unlike any other commentary I've ever read on Genesis. He's like the anti-commentary on Genesis. Everybody else is over here. And then Martin Luther's over here. And then he's quoting all kinds of ancient fathers and sermons. And he's explaining it to where the ethics of the thing makes sense to me. And, and so, like... It taught me something about paying attention to plot, especially the way the Bible is broken down into chapters and verses and then subheadings. And what you do is you lose the grand thread very quickly. Um, and, and, and this is a point that I, I can't make enough. Right? The way we read our Bibles can sometimes cause us to have a lot of problems. And if you're reading something like Romans 
and you read a little backstory on Romans, and then you start reading Romans, and three weeks later you're in Romans 14, I would go back and review the introductory material to Romans. Because you're so far from the start that you ought to refresh yourself if you're reading longer books. Does this make sense? So that's why I like study Bibles, because I go back and I read like the theological framework for the book, whatever book I'm reading. I go back and I reread it. I'm like, oh, these are the things I'm really looking for, paying attention for. This is the context of this book. It's kind of like when you watch a movie that's kind of deep, and a lot of you go back and watch it again. You like catch things in the beginning that you didn't because right? uh-huh. now you know how it ends. It's like, oh, now you're oh, looking for them. Like, oh, that's good. Yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, kind of like that actually. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. So have you guys ever read, say, like Romans, and then when you're done with it, go back and read it a second time right away? <laughs> yeah, that, it's a good one. Um, the other one I, I used to do is uh, I heard that I heard about I, I would take epistles from the Bible and address them to myself and then mail them to myself uh, and then I would get like the you know Titus's letter <laughs> as if it was sent to me um, and and so you do these like weird things uh, to to try to jog you you know get you out of your rut um, so anyway so plot narrator I think in Samuel it's been a great example of the narrator. What is he saying? What is he not saying? What is his point? What is he? The, the Deuteronomistic uh, history, the, narr- they, the prophets selected what they selected on purpose. And there's a lot that they don't say. And they're not saying it on, pur- on purpose. They're, they're, the narrator is like one of the characters in Samuel. Um, and, I, and if you're not paying attention to him, I think there's a lot of the story that doesn't make as much sense. Okay? Dialogue is another one. How many of you guys listen to dialogue where somebody is told something God says okay go tell the people this and then it's a huge like 10 verses and then it says okay so then the prophet went and then and then it's, <laughs> he says exactly now why do they do that why do they do that why doesn't it just say the prophet went and told them why do you guys think there's that kind of yeah highlights it's like pretty well highlight yeah because we they want us to see um, very right. They want us to hear the same thing more than once. And, and the Bible was originally something that was read out loud, not something that was read privately. And Peter Lightheart's done a lot of work on this. The fact that we read it privately, almost exclusively now, versus it was written to be read only publicly, has changed our understanding of the scriptures a great deal. And if we heard it more often, so some of your Bible studies should always include listening to the audio, either reading it to one another in your home or having a decent audio version. Because, we, you know, you should sit and listen more often than you st- sit in judgment of. Yeah. I, um, so all of, those, all of those things matter. So as, as we jump into Genesis this next week, you know, consider the plot. What is the plot? Who's the narrator? What, what is he saying? Um, who are the characters? What's the dialogue? How does the dialogue change? Right? Um, the, serpent, what's, the serpent says to Eve matters because we know what, what, what's missing from that is we know that what God told Adam and then Adam had to transfer it to his wife and then when his wife repeats what was said to the snake it's actually different than what God said now how did that happen and that's like that you, unless you're paying attention you completely miss that so when there's dialogue right slowing down and thinking about what's being said and how it's being said and who's saying it is going to help us to understand these stories lot better. Okay? Any questions? Because I think I think it's 950. So next week, we're going to be jumping into that book Unfolding Grace. Now, how many of you guys have the book Unfolding Grace? 
you need it? Uh, no, I have it on. Thank you. Okay, raise your hand if you have the book Unfolding Grace. <laughs> Here's the study guide. So I was I I, I thought that anybody who wants to use the study guide can, because if, especially if you're not used to reading these stories, this might help you think through them a little bit. Um, I, and I have a copy of the book Unfolding Grace out there. So this is my question. I, I have the book. It's easier to haul around haul around because it's just forty portions of scripture in one book. But it actually tells us what chapters it is. So would you guys rather me tell you what chapters in the Bible you're supposed to read? Opposed to getting the book. Yeah. Well, whatever you want to send out, I, I, I'm sorry to say it, I don't think I want to purchase the book. Yeah, no, that's fine. I and, and that's what I'm saying because I. Yeah, yeah, I have a book budget, and I don't mind owning more books, but not everyone is that way. So I could just send out the chapters that we're supposed yeah. to read. Okay, you'll you'll miss out on all the beautiful artwork. Uh. <laughs> Uh, and then if anybody wants, there is a study guide that goes along with the readings we're going to do. And, and, and this is just like thought questions. It just gets you to think about the text. And then what I'm going to do is re- we're going to read the same portions of Scripture. And I'm going to come in and give you just like a 45-minute explanation of the section we've read. Okay? And, and I'm, I'm, I will cover what I think is important. And I will try to keep it to 45 minutes. <laughs> Especially in general. <laughs> We're going to do it. We're going to do like half the book in one week. It's going to be amazing. Um, okay, so I'll send out an email so for what you got to read for next week, okay? Thank you, you guys, for your time.